to Jesus. He wrote down their stories, and we have this incredible gospel account from him. And what we've kind of been doing all the way since last December, actually, is kind of taking a chunk of Luke, and then we'll go to another series. Take a chunk of Luke, go to another series. And we're going to kind of continue that pattern. And we are now in a, in a section of Luke, starting in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, till the end of that chapter, that shifts Jesus' ministry. That even though he was a popular figure, people loved him, all of a sudden there's something that happens now that he becomes the radical that if you know anything about Jesus, he is. And that's what we're going to begin to look at today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get there on your smartphone, on the Bible app. You can follow along. We have those scriptures. You can take notes. Um, and you can just find that under the events where Stapleton Church is listed. Because the call to follow Jesus, because he was a radical, is also radical. It's a radical call that involves an enormous cost. I love a quote from C.S. Lewis that I've shared before from one of his essays. He, he says that I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port could do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Certainly don't recommend Christianity. There is wine, there is things that can make you feel comfortable and easy in the moment, but that is not what following Jesus is about. There is a high cost to following Jesus. But I believe that the sense of that cost is such a great, grand, vast adventure that every moment that we suffer and struggle and deal with hardship is worth it. I've been reading this book. It's extremely long. It's called The Seven Basic Plots by Christopher Booker, who is a, um, a professor of literature. And he's examined tons of literature throughout human history. And he says, hey, there are these seven basic plots. You know, the, the fighting the monster. There's the, the, um, the romance. There's comedy. But one of the stories that he says you see again and again throughout history and literature is the quest the quest where there's a, a protagonist who is, is kind of naive, doesn't know what's ahead of him, and it sets out on an incredible journey to accomplish a great quest. Whether it's going back to, you know, the quest for the Holy Grail, where it gets the name, to modern quests like Star Wars or Harry Potter or, or one of my favorites, The Lord of the Rings, where these young hobbits who don't, have never been outside the Shire, their comfortable, nice place to live, where they have good food and friends and family, are called to leave on a quest to do a grand adventure, and they have no idea what lies ahead. I think that following Jesus is like that, because on a quest there will be difficulties, challenges. It will be daunting and scary, and it may seem completely terrifying. But yet, the result of the quest is worth it. And that's what we're going to see in this section of Luke as we see Jesus begin his journey to his final destination here on this earth. So I'm going to start there in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, where it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Almost all Bible scholars say that this verse is the marked change in what comes before in the Gospel of Luke and to what comes after. He sets his face now at a journey, resolutely setting out to know what is before him in Jerusalem. It says before he's taken up to heaven because something will happen and, and we look kind of back now from after that event. But for Jesus, he knew something was coming. And he, before this point, he had avoided going into Jerusalem. Because he knew, yes, he loved these people. They were his own people. He had come to care for them and save them. But he knew that there were many there who despised him and hated him and rejected him. 
that they would not accept him as the Messiah, and that eventually it would lead to his death. But now at this point in his ministry, he's been serving in the north. We saw him in Galilee in the region where he was raised. And he had been preaching around. People loved him. There were some miracles. Yes, there were some people that opposed him. But now he's going straight into the center of the Jewish world, the city of Jerusalem. And he sets out for that resolutely. It's really interesting, that phrase that he set his face resolutely is actually a phrase that occurs again and again in the prophets in the Old Testament. Because the prophets were called by God sometimes to do some very challenging things. I think especially of Ezekiel where God says, hey, you're going to go preach to those people, tell them they're rebelling and sinning and they're not going to listen to you. Good luck. That was basically the call of Ezekiel. And it's the same thing. Ezekiel set his face towards the people, against the people, resolutely. It's that same phrase. And you see it with some of the other prophets as well. The point here is that Jesus is a prophet. And he knows that he will face opposition. And there's a sense that, hey, what he's going to do, perhaps, if you're reading this as a, as a Jewish person who knows the scriptures, that perhaps Jesus has come to bring judgment on Jerusalem. That's what that phrase seems to mean, that he's a prophet. He's going to say, unless you repent, you are going to be judged. But something different happens now with Jesus. And this is so important because in the next few verses, it says that Jesus sends one of his disciples to go ahead to a Samaritan village. And go find some place for us to stay and have some food for them because they're traveling in the desert to Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans, if you know the story, were once part of uh, God's people. There was the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was the Samar- Samaritans, and they were the nation of Samaria at the time. But they had split over a lot of different things, one of them being that the, the Jews in the south in Judea thought you should worship at the temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans thought you should worship on a different mountain. So they had big wars like, no, 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 God's over here. No, God's over there. Okay, so there was a lot of budding politically, theologically. They didn't really like each other. And so when Jesus goes to this Samaritan village, he's like, all we need is a place to stay for the night. But he sends his disciples ahead of them and the village says, no way. No way. There's no room in the inn, right? Again, for Jesus. We will not accept your kind here. Okay, That's what's going on here. No, no Jews are welcome, especially not this Jesus. There's clear opposition. So the disciples come back and tell Jesus what happened. Hey, we we just need a place to stay. We're out in the desert. It's hot. We just need a place where we can stay for the night. And they have rejected us. So James and John, two of Jesus' key disciples, say, Jesus, can we call down fire on that village? And if you're like, well, that's a little extreme. Actually, it probably isn't. These people had opposed Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and they were saying, no, we don't even want him to come into our town. And when they're saying, let's, let's call down fire, they're probably thinking, well, Jesus, you're resolutely setting out for Jerusalem. You're bringing judgment on the people that oppose you, right? And they're probably thinking a story of a story from the Bible in 1 Kings. Actually, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 1 with a guy named Elijah. We went over uh, stories of Elijah a few years ago because there was a chapter in Second Kings chapter 1 where Elijah is being opposed by the king at the time. And the king sends these people to go basically capture Elijah the prophet and control him and potentially kill him. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven and kills those people who opposed him. Does anybody remember this story? I called that series Fire from Heaven. <laughs> Because Elijah the prophet is saying, these people are opposing me in the ministry of God. They will have judgment on them. And it happens multiple times with Elijah. Fire from heaven comes down. 
Because it's the just judgment of God, as we talked about last week, to destroy people who are sinners and opposed to God. So when James and John are saying, hey, let's call down fire at them, they're saying, hey, let's, you're a prophet, do what prophets do. Bring the, the justice of God down on these people. Now, you know, years ago I used to judge these guys. How could they be so cruel to, to burn an entire village for this? How could they be so cruel to, to burn the opposition? But I, I, I sometimes now know what it feels like to want to harm somebody else, right? Say, God, you take care of them. Has anybody been there? Someone has hurt you so much and you're like, God, just take care of them. Bring fire down on them. I think as you see throughout the prophets, Elijah, uh, um, you see Jeremiah and Isaiah, these guys went through some tough things. David himself prays to God that you'll destroy my enemies. So this is a very biblical thought. This is a justice thought. If they are opposing God and his work, they should be judged, right? But yet Jesus doesn't do that. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what I do. We will not call down judgment on them. Let's move on to the next village. Now, this seems like an insignificant detail, but it is massively important in the history of God. Because up till this point, the prophets brought judgment on people, proclaimed wrath that the enemies of God's people would come on them if they did not repent of their sin. And yet when Jesus sees sinners opposing him in his ministry, he says, no, 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 that's not what I do. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John three seventeen. You know, John three sixteen gets all the acclaim, right? It's written on Tim Tebow's eyes, right? But John 3, 17, the very next verse is so important. Let me read this to you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It was not condemnation. It was not judgment. It was to save the world, save even sinners who oppose God and stand in opposition to him. Because Jesus came radically in a different way than anyone who had come before him. He says, yes, it would be justice to destroy those people, but I don't come for that way. I came to bring mercy even for the people who deserve justice. I come to save and forgive and love the people who hate me. And that's why this way of Jesus is so, so radical, and it's why we're still talking about it today, because it flies in the face of everything we know about world history. When there's a a leader and someone opposes them, they kill them. Even religious leaders, if you read the history books. But yet Jesus stands in contrast to all of that. He says, no, I'm not going to destroy that village. I came to save even them. Jesus came for salvation. And that's why he stands alone as this radical figure that we look to. And that's why I'm going to challenge you today at the beginning of this series. And I hope that you will stay tuned for this series. If you're watching online, make sure you make it a priority to watch all the messages in the series, to be here if you can physically Because this radical series is so important, and it's going to start off with this first big idea, that you need to put Jesus first. Because he is so different than everyone else. He's so different from the way of the world, the way of even the prophets of God. Jesus is different, and we need to put him first. So I'm going to give you three practical applications of this that we're going to see from this next section that are radical if we really do put Jesus first. And the first one is that this includes a radical challenge. To put Jesus first is a radical challenge. It is challenging. It is daunting. Look with me in in verses 57 and 58. In verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, 
I will follow you wherever you go. Man, what great allegiance this guy has said. I will follow you. I believe in you, Jesus. I'm going with you. In verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Saying, you want to follow me? It's not going to be comfortable. Even the animals have a place that they can go and burrow and hibernate and be safe. But for those who follow Jesus, it's a radical challenge. It it may mean giving up the thing that makes you most comfortable. To step out and go talk to the neighbor who you don't, uh, you know, to even just say hi to your neighbor or, or to invite them over to go into a neighborhood and love people that look differently than you. To invite them to church, to share your home with them. And it will feel dangerous. Sometimes it will be dangerous. Perhaps you travel overseas or, or even here you can face danger in our own country. But you do it because you're following Jesus wherever he leads. Jesus said, this is the radical challenge of following me. I remember years ago there was a young man in youth group and in my last church and he said, you know, I, I, I like Jesus, I believe in him, but I don't know if I'm ready to accept him as my Lord and Savior. And I remember the youth leader came to me and like, Matt, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't understand. He says he believes, he understands, he believes everything in the Bible, yet he doesn't want to do it. And after talking with him, it became clear that he said, well, it's hard to follow Jesus. It means I'm going to have to give up this and give up that. And he saw the challenge of it, and at that point he was unwilling to do it. Praise God that God continued to work in his life, that he did make that. But I know there are some people, even some people here today or or watching or listening to this, that say, I love Jesus. I think what the Bible says is true. He is the Son of God, but I don't know if I want to follow him with that radical of a challenge. makes me uncomfortable. What could Jesus ask me to do? I mean, if he died for me, gave up everything for me, couldn't he demand everything from me? Well, yes. It's radical. But that's the cost of following Jesus. It's a radical challenge but it's also a radical priority change it's a radical priority that has to change in your life in verse 59 it says that jesus said to another man follow me so the first guy comes up to jesus saying hey i'm all in the second guy jesus goes to him and says hey come follow me come with me but he replied lord first let me go and bury my father man that's a pretty reasonable request right just need to bury my dad. I just need to put him in the ground. In that day, uh, burials were very important. Family was incredibly important. And the esteem and the respect that you owed your father was paramount. I mean, even today, you know, the most bereavement policies, if your parent dies, they give you extra time off, right? Because they know a parent is so important to your life. And yet, in verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's radical. This is not normal, the call of Jesus here. This is radical. Now, some people look at this and they try to say culturally, maybe something's going on here. And they may be right. You know, there's some idea that perhaps this man hadn't had his father die yet. And he says, once my dad dies, I'll go with you, Jesus. That's possible. It's also possible because in the ancient world, what they would do, would they, they would bury someone in a tomb, wrap them in linen. Heard of that? And then a year later, what they would do is go back and take the bones that were left and they'd kind of put them in a bundle. So it's possible that this guy's saying, hey, my dad died. I got to wait another year so I can go through that process and then I'll come with you. 
We, we don't know, uh, or it could be that the guy just died. We don't know, but the point is that Jesus is saying, I must be your first priority if you come follow me, even above your family, even above the cultural expectations that are placed on you. Will you put me first, Jesus is saying. I, I think this is important because when we put Jesus first, we don't say, I will follow and do whatever Jesus says when I'm older, when I've graduated high school. Maybe when I'm finished college, maybe when I'm married or, or when I have kids, maybe when my business begins to take off, then I'll start tithing. Okay, no, no, no. We don't say later. We don't wait. We put Jesus first. It's a radical priority change. And when he calls us to do something, we do it immediately. Whatever that thing may be. This is a radical priority change. I remember one person I talked to said, Matt, I believe I want to get baptized, but... Because of my mom's faith, I'm going to wait till she dies to get baptized. That's what this person told me. That's the same scenario. You don't want to offend your mother. Well, guess what? Sometimes following Jesus will offend people, even your family. But Jesus calls us to have a radical priority here. A radical priority change that Jesus comes first and always comes first. And he continues with a radical focus now. In verse 61, it says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Man, if there's ever been a reasonable request, that's it, right? This was the same request that Elisha made to Elijah. When Elisha was called to be a prophet and to come follow Elijah, Elijah said, oh yeah, you can go with your family. In fact, they even held a feast. But yet Jesus is here taking it a step even further than that. Because he says in verse 62, Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is a radical focus because if you have your hand on a plow, anybody been, been plowing out the fields? None of you? No? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're out there plowing the field, nowadays I've been out on the combines plowing the fields. Um, they have GPS, and it's like luxury. There's like TVs in there. There's GPS. You get in the combine, it will take you everywhere you need to go, like perfectly. You don't even have to steer the dang thing, okay? But if you were on an ancient plow, you had to keep your hand there because if you look back, perhaps you'd get off track, right? Or, or perhaps you would hit a rock because you weren't paying what you, attention to what you're doing, break your plow, ruin your whole field to go back, get a new plow or fix it and then get back to it. So there's all sorts of problems that can come up if you're not focused on what you're doing for the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, no, you can't go say goodbye to your family, he's saying you can't have a farewell party, you can't do any of that, you must focus on what I am calling to you to do, and I am saying, Jesus, to this man right now, you must proclaim the kingdom of God. This is your call, this is your challenge. Do it now, even above your family in those relationships. Now this is one of the most challenging things. I remember another young man in Nebraska. His parents, he started coming to our youth group, and he decided he wanted to get baptized. Well, his parents opposed him coming to church. They said he can't go to church anymore. Uh, I, I can't even imagine what that's like, you know. Most people complain because their parents made them go to church, right? You guys been there? But this kid, his parents were saying, no, you cannot go to that church anymore or any church. And, and thankfully, we were able to negotiate with the parents and, and figure out, okay, if, if we take him and if we drop him off and, and you don't have to do anything, can we do it? Please, you can come talk to us, ask us any questions. Finally, they said, okay. And this young man decided he would get baptized even though his parents were saying, no way. And once again, praise God, they showed up on the day of his baptism. 
That was exciting to me that finally God had started to work in their hearts. But I can't imagine opposing my parents to follow Jesus. And yet that is what Jesus calls us to do. With that radical of a focus, he is our priority. He is number one. We put Jesus first. That is the cost of following Jesus. Now this is radical, right? This is radical. He demands absolute obedience to him. To follow Jesus means giving up everything for him. Wherever he would lead us, wherever he takes us, whatever the quest has before us. But we know that in all of that, it's worth it. Because this Jesus is radically different. Because he didn't just set his face for Jerusalem knowing that he would suffer and struggle and be killed by the people he loved and came to save. But on the cross, after they murdered him, he said, or was it being murdered, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The radical grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross shows us that we must follow him. Because he alone is the one who can bring eternal life and transform us for the better and transform our world. And that's why, yes, it means giving up everything, but he gave up everything first. And what we suffer will no way compare to what he did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his great book, The Cost of Discipleship, said that the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's why Jesus knew here in his ministry, he set his face resolutely. He knew what was coming ahead of him. He knew he would struggle. He would face opposition. People would hate him and they would eventually kill him. But yet it was worth it. And when we follow Jesus, we're saying the same thing. I don't know what's ahead. It might be comfortable at some points. It might be great. There will be incredible things that come along with it. The brothers and sisters we have in Christ, the things that we get to do and accomplish, to even go overseas, perhaps some of us, for short or long-term trips and see people's lives transformed. I mean, there's amazing things that with it, but we will suffer. But when we do, we will know that Jesus went first and that he did it all so that he could be taken up to heaven, meaning we too will follow him where he went. The reward is even here at the beginning. This radical call is saying it's all going to be worth it. So join me on this quest, Jesus says. It's radical, but it's worth it. So put Jesus first if i could have a uh, bobby come back up wh- wherever bobby is um i just want us to take uh, take a moment um right now because i know some of you hear this radical call and maybe for the first time you're saying i, I do want to follow jesus it may cost me everything but i'm willing to do it and, and i just want to lead you in a, in, a, in a prayer right now and then i'm going to have a, a separate prayer for all of us who are already followers of jesus but if you're watching online if, if you hear my voice if you're here in this this backyard of our facility and you're saying i'm ready to follow jesus no matter where he takes me because it's worth it then i want you to repeat this prayer with me father I know that I am a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Please give me the gift of eternal life. I invite your spirit to live in my heart. Help me to die to myself, to follow you and serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer here or if you're watching online, I want you to text the word follow to the number that's on the screen. Text that word follow. I would love to get in touch with you and encourage you uh, in your new journey, this new quest that you're on.
Now for all of us, can, can we do something right now? Could I just have everybody stand up, please? Whether you're physically or if you're watching online, if you're sitting on your sofa all comfortable right now, please stand up. Okay? I, I just want everybody to stand up for a moment right now. And, and as Jesus is calling us to radically follow him, no matter what comes ahead of us on this quest, if you're willing to say, I don't know what lies ahead, but I want to go with you, Jesus, because you have the words of life. You're the Savior. You're the one who died for me. I just want you to just go like this. Put your hands out in front of you. Just have some open hands right now. And would you bow your heads, close your eyes. And would you make these words your prayer? Could you just say, I surrender all. I surrender all. Lord God, we stand here with open arms, literally saying, we will follow you. We will go with you wherever you lead us. We know it will be will hurt, it will be hard, it will be challenging. But Lord God, I surrender all, we surrender all to you right now. Because we know it's worth it. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us the way.